0: would like to be dismissed for Children's Church, may do so uh, at this time. Um, make sure you do get back to the, the foyer not too late after Children's Church, um, because um, there is a big rumor that there's cake today in honor of Mimi's birthday. Happy birthday, Mimi. Um, <clears throat> we're in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 13. And uh, if you're uh, following along in the Blue Bibles, the Blue Church Bibles, that's page 1172, and um, uh, we're uh, uh, seeing for the first time the uh, Apostle Paul starting to, uh, uh, to be involved in ministry, and so uh, we're in a new phase here. Acts chapter 13, uh, again, starting at verse 1 down to verse 12. Here now the reading of God's word. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul, who was also, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, um, one man uh, grows blind and another man sees. Lord, we pray that you would give us the eyes to see, the eyes to see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, the book of Acts is famously uh, the book that uh, many of us think is the most about, the work of the Holy Spirit, and today we are going to look very much at the work of the Spirit here in, in this chapter. Now we're going to meet some other people, but we're really going to look at what the Spirit's doing in and through those people and to their, to their hearts. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at four things uh, that the Spirit's doing. First, the Spirit's selecting. Then the Spirit's speaking. Third, the Spirit's sending. And finally, the Spirit's saving. Okay? Spirit's selecting speaking, sending, and saving. That's what we'll look at this morning. So first the Spirit selecting, and I want to focus on the Spirit selecting people from such diverse backgrounds here. We are given a list of five prophets and teachers here in Antioch, the church in Antioch, and these are the spiritual leaders of that church. And uh, by prophets, the, the New Testament isn't referring to Uh, We we might think of prophets as predictors or people who are soothsayers or palm readers or something like that. We don't mean prophets that way. We mean the word um, uh, 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 prophets in the sense of being preachers, just like the Old Testament prophets. uh, So often what they did was they preached the word. They got the Pentateuch back out and said, you all haven't been looking at God's word. So I'm going to pull back out God's word, and we're going to talk about what God has to say to us in his word. That's so often what the prophets did. And so so these are proclaimers of God's word, the way that the Old Testament prophets uh, proclaim God's law. And by teachers, Luke is referring to those who discipled, discipled in smaller groups to send others out to preach and proclaim. So we have those who are articulating God's word and those who are giving spiritual oversight to those being sent out and they are brought together here, we're told, by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Five individuals with completely unique backgrounds that God draws together to provide leadership to his church. And so we want to look at these five individuals. Now the first is, Barnabas, and we met Barnabas before, that was back in chapter 4, verse 36, where we found out then that he was a Levite from Cyprus. Now, we didn't, we didn't spend much time on Barnabas back then, knowing that we would uh, meet him with a little more depth later on, and this is that point. A Levite from Cyprus. Now, by Levite, we mean that he was a Jew who could trace back his family lineage all the way back to the tribe of Levi one of the famous 12 tribes of Israel. And the tribes specifically tasked to be servants of and servants in the temple. Servants of and in the tabernacle and then later the temple. And of course, uh, those of you who know the Levites, were they, they focused on worship. That's what they did. They focused on worship. They had the priestly function in the life of the church. <clears throat> And uh, if you put yourself in Barnabas' shoes, this is quite a thing, uh, quite a fact. Here is Barnabas. Again, this, is, this would be his identity among the people of God at this point. I am from the tribe of Levi. That's who I am. That's my identity. I'm not just an Israelite. I'm not just a, a Jew. I, the, the temple's still over there. The, te- the temple's still in Jerusalem. We may be in Antioch, but, but when you talk about the temple, we're talking about my people. We're the ones that ruled over that. We're the ones that looked at what the sacrifices would be. We're the ones that ordered all of that. And, uh, and it had such a, a, a historic piece of his culture and his people. He would never be without it. And yet here's Barnabas saying, I'm ready to be without it. Because what is Barnabas going to do? He's going to proclaim that a greater priest has come, the final priest has come, and he's embracing the gospel, embracing his own greater high priest, and the greater high priest who actually took the sins of the world away. Such that he's not Barnabas, a Levite anymore, he's Barnabas in Christ. What a transition he's undergoing. Second, we have Simeon. And Simeon has a kind of nickname here in Antioch. Simeon was called Niger. Now, Niger is a a Latin word. It's actually a Latin word for black. Simeon, then, from everything we've been able to figure out, was African. Many uh, make the argument that this Simeon Niger... Now, of course, he's living in a Greco-Roman territory. Also goes by the name of Simon. Just as many of you in this room, sometimes you, you come to this country, some of you took on Uh, more English-sounding or anglicized versions of your name to make it easy for other people to know you and so forth so they didn't try to awkwardly mispronounce your name. Uh, And so you decided, I'm going to try to come closer to you so you have a different name. Often people in the Bible do too. We're going to see Saul today becomes Paul, right? So that Simeon Niger is quite likely the same guy as Simon the Cyrene, that famous man from Africa who carried Jesus' cross to Calvary in Luke chapter 23. Cyrene is in northern Africa or or modern-day Libya. So that if Simeon is Simon of Cyrene, then so far we have together a former priest, Barnabas, who's now a preacher of the good news of the final priest, Jesus, with this man, Simon or Simeon, who's called Black, and they're brought together for the cause of Jesus Christ. You see, it's God who brings us together from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Spirit is selecting to send. Selecting to send. But we're not done. It gets better. Because while there may be some uncertainty about Simeon, there's no ambiguity at all about Lucius of Cyrene. Lucius is African. Because we're told he's Lucius of Cyrene. Now remember, the spirit, the spirit had already reached out to the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back to Ethiopia, back to Africa, by sending Philip down that old Gaza road that nobody used anymore, just to reach out to this one man, the Ethiopian eunuch, and, 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 and send him effectively back as the first missionary to Africa. And now people are coming from Africa back to the Middle East and now to Greco-Roman territories to bring the gospel to others. You know, people today, like it's a new thing, people today talk about uh, uh, the possibility that Africa might have to re-evangelize North America and Europe, but it's been happening since the beginning. It's been happening since the beginning. So, So we likely have two Africans preaching Christ in Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, but still it gets better. Next we have Menaean, okay? somebody we are told who is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now this is what you have to picture. <coughs> um, Craig Keener points this out. He says that this meant that, 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 that Menaean would have grown up in Herod the Tetrarch's home And uh, that phrase there, lifelong friend, usually means somebody like a foster brother, maybe somebody adopted, maybe someone brought in. And he's living in Herod the Tetrarch's home such that he is now a lifelong friend of Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And so here is a guy raised in the courts of Herod such that Menaean grew up in the same household as the man who ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. And now he's a follower of Jesus. And now he's a follower of Jesus. And yet it gets better. Because finally we do come to Saul. Saul, who again for the first time here goes by the name of Paul. Paul the proud and puffed up Pharisee, who was a notorious persecutor of the church. Now, You could just take any one of these people from this motley crew, any one of them, and it would make an amazing story, right? Uh, A a Jew, Barnabas, who uh, uh, for, for whom, you know, as a Levite, that would have prevented many people from ever coming to Jesus because you'd have to leave those wonderful Uh, credentials behind you that you were from this special tribe and yet he's one of them that would be a great story or how God has reached into Africa to raise up missionaries Simon and Lucius and brought them to a knowledge of himself and now he's sending them to other places so that uh, others may know the gospel and here by the way these two Africans preaching we're told in the temple in the synagogues that's where they're going first right? first for the Jew then for the Gentile that would have been a great story. Or how God had raised up a man who is the enemy of God to be an ambassador for God. Paul, again, what a great story. But no, not only have they been set apart for salvation, they have been selected to be sent with the news of salvation. They've been selected to be sent one a lifelong friend of a Christian killer, another actual Christian killer, and the Spirit doesn't choose this group simply for the sake of diversity, but to reach the world in all its diversity, you see. They didn't all go to the same seminary, these five men. They didn't go to the same church. They didn't have the same skin color. They didn't have the same testimony. They didn't have the same language even between them. But each one of them had the same commission. What they had was the same spirit led faith in the one Savior, Jesus Christ, and they preached Him as the only way. That's what they had in common. All preachers, all teachers of the grace that had bought them. That's what they had. Now, friends, this is how the Spirit works, this is how the grace of God works. This is how God the Son works. Jesus said, I am, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And these five, that's just one sampling of it. Hope Presbyterian Church is just one sampling. You've been brought together. You, you, I, from the person standing up here, I get to look at you all. You all look different. I know many of you from different places. Some people came in from California this morning to be here today. Some of you have different worldviews, different different tongues and languages. <clears throat> some of you, some of us, have names that are hard to say. Is it Rao? Is it Roe? What, what, whatever it is, all have a different story. And yet here we are. We're the people that God has selected to be here, such that we would make disciples to send people out. Number two, the Spirit speaking. The Spirit selects. The Spirit speaks. Verse two seems to be interestingly enough the only place in Scripture where we have the Spirit himself speaking. Very interesting. For the world that talks about how the Spirit speaks to them, this is the only place in Scripture where we actually that, that have that, that unique phrase, the Spirit speaks. Okay, uh, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Fascinating. Now, often people hear a voice, like in in the Bible, like a voice coming from heaven, right? Maybe take the example of a a voice that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, and the people know from the context of that, ah, this must be the voice of God. Um, You think about 2 Corinthians, when Paul uh, prayed for, remember, the famous thorn in the flesh to be removed from his body. And uh, he hears Jesus speaking to him. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Here, though, it's not a voice. It's not God speaking. It's not Jesus speaking. Luke doesn't even say it was the Lord who spoke. And he clearly does not say that it was the Spirit who spoke through the prophets that are there. No, Luke is very clear here that it is the Spirit speaking to them the Spirit speaking to them. Now, here is where we have to maybe say some specific things and maybe even some hard things because I find that so much uh, is claimed as the Spirit's agenda, but I don't always actually see in the Scriptures that it is the Spirit's agenda. Now, I'm saying this. I didn't get this from Acts 13 here, but we're reflecting on Acts 13. But I invite you to check this out yourself from what the Bible has to say about the Spirit's work. I'll state my case, and maybe you state your own, but here's what I mean. People are always saying, the Spirit is telling me this, or the Spirit is leading me to that. What I ask you to do is really listen to those statements. Ask that they be repeated. When it comes to the content of what the Spirit is saying to them, it's usually, this is my experience, it's usually something very subjective or about a subjective experience. Maybe some great task or or for their personal experiential enlightenment. But ask, how often is it that what you hear from somebody who attributes something they say they heard from the Spirit is actually focused on the work of the church? Our work in this time between the cross and the second coming. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is up to. Uh, One of my uh, professors, Dick Gaffin, once said that he had a hard time thinking that much about what he hears about the Spirit's work can actually be the Spirit's work precisely because so little of what he hears is about Christ and him crucified. His point is that whenever the Spirit speaks and whenever the Spirit leads, It's never about us, it's never about our subjective experience, never so that we can perform great tasks just to perform a great task or straighten out crooked limbs just so that we can do it. No, it's so that any task we perform illumines and focuses on Christ. That even when the Spirit is present and does a miracle to heal or to change or to have people speak in tongues, it's to... Make it so that people can understand that the one who's doing this is our Lord, is Jesus. That Jesus has come to affirm something that Jesus promised. Turn, turn with me, if you would, to the Reflections page, page 12. That's on your back of the bulletin. Uh, a second quote here is by a guy named Rankin Wilborn. He's a pastor out west and a theologian. He just came out with a new book on uh, Union with Christ that I can, I can recommend it. Um, he puts this well. He was uh, actually lived here in Princeton for some years. I think he gets it about right in 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 a very short way. He says, Two errors predominate when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some circles, those that tend to speak of the Spirit easily and frequently, often place their emphasis more on the gifts he brings to individuals, extraordinary, charismatic gifts, than on his primary role to highlight the person and work of Jesus. Jesus said specifically what his role would be. John sixteen fourteen. he will glorify me. J.I. Packer compares the Holy Spirit to a floodlight in front of a house. The floodlight exists not to draw attention to itself, but to illuminate the house. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit's primary work is to shine light on Jesus and glorify God the Father. This is why Dale Bruner calls him the shy member of the Trinity. Let me add another quote, I think, uh, from J.A. Packer that I wish I'd put into the bulletin today. Packer says, Wherever the Holy Spirit is the star of the show, rest assured, he's not there. It's a pretty powerful way to put it. Because while the Holy Spirit is fully God, he's fully God in his being, his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, goodness, and his truth, his role is to illumine Jesus. Which means this, I do believe, I do believe that the Holy Spirit gives us today to each of us as followers of Christ what the old uh, Puritans used to call holy unction. Holy unction, we don't use that word anymore. But but, but sort of the, the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us inner instincts based on growing up and growing into Christ and growing in his word, you see, what the Bible calls the mind of Christ such that the Spirit can can remind me of the truths that I know in and through his word that was given to us by the shaping of the Holy Spirit working through the writers of Scripture uh, and even some subjective feelings so that I can know Christ all the more. But here we have, in all the Scripture, the Spirit speaking this one time in a very unusual way. And it's about, ultimately, Jesus. He's picking, he's selecting people to sin. For what purpose? To preach Christ and him crucified. And for, as we'll see in a moment, a, a, a specific time in redemptive history. So that just as the Spirit uh, came down powerfully in sort of phase one, right? The gospel going from Judea to Samaria and affirming that. <clears throat> and now we have uh, the spirit again on the move. This is in a sense the final phase, phase three. This is now the spirit going to the ends of the earth. This is now when paul 's missionary journey will start, and people are being gathered from all the corners of the earth, rather from africa and 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 yes there's there 's jews involved and 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 Manan, who's grew up in a greco Roman home are gathered together. Take the gospel, you see, to the ends of the earth. This is the final stage. We're still in that final stage. We've been at this for like 1970 years or so um, in this final stage to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, now so so what we're saying is don't take this uh, speaking of the Spirit as prescriptive as if you're not a Christian if you haven't had the Holy Spirit speak to you in exactly this way. Because this is very unusual, as we just said, to hear, see the Bible say the Holy Spirit said. It's descriptive, but you have the Spirit working in and through you all the time. Every time you open up God's Word as a believer, the fact that you understand God's Word as God's Word was an act of the Spirit working with the Word such that the Spirit spoke to you to say, this is His Word. So that you can almost see the work of the Holy Spirit You know kind of saying well what is my job really you know what the bible tells us that god has spoken finally and definitively through his son that was written by the power of the holy spirit that god has finally and clarity spoken finally in and through his son and so the spirit in a sense says what i need to say is already been said it's finished So that here the Spirit ratifies really the sending of this diverse group of men for that final phase. It's time for the ends of the earth phase to begin, the phase that, again, we've been in since this very text happened. Friends, my point is, we are not to divide the persons of the Trinity for our own subjective personal experience. We are not to do that. The Holy Spirit speaks today and in all time in and through the word of God. So what does the spirit do? What does the spirit do? Because he's working here. He sets apart Barnabas and Paul to do the work to which I have called them. Hmm? And, and, and what does that work? Verses four and five tell us they are sent out, verse four, for the proclamation of the good news about Jesus, verse 5. See that? They they are sent out, verse 4, for the proclamation of the good news about Jesus, verse 5. And that takes us to our next point, the Spirit sending. The Spirit sending. Now, this is what we call missions. Uh, We use the word missions for sending because the church, for the first 400 plus years, used mostly Latin in some traditions even longer than that. And the word for sending is is the word missio or missions or missionary comes from that Latin word used to send. So that missions is, you could say, the mission of the church. Sending is the mission of the church. Missions is when men and women are sent by the church, not a parachurch or an independent agency of some sort, though we're not against that, but the mission specifically of the church is specifically when the church as instituted big by Christ in the great commission that you heard BC read for us earlier sends people into the world to places where the name of Jesus is not known and where the triune God is not worshiped that's what missions is When we speak of missions we're speaking of the church to send out people from the church to plant the church in places where there is no church that's the mission of the church. And this is all stated very specifically in our own mission st- st- statement here at Hope. I'm going to walk over here and get it because I forgot to bring it forward. But your church here at Hope has, has thought about this and we thought about it very specifically. And it's a, it's a mission that we ask you to hold us to. Do we do what we say we're going to do when we say this is the mission of our church? And if you look at the inside the the bulletin and, and, um, just inside the front cover. It's on every front cover. We never not do not print this. Um, you have the third, if you will, will uh, statement there, Heart for God's World, <coughs> where it says, We are called to be taught and taught to be sent. We are not to produce mere converts, but disciples, students of Jesus. The church is the center of mission and the very life-giving and mediated presence of Christ. Therefore, the church being the church With the whole world present, is God's missionary strategy to the world. The church is the missionary strategy of the church. You see? This makes our approach to evangelism and discipleship participatory, not simply declarative. Yes, we declare. Yes, we proclaim. But as we send people out, we participate in the proclamation and declaration. You see? Disciples therefore have a passion for God's word, commitment to his grace, that's the message and a heart for his world world, by loving God and neighbor. The one thing that I wish was was in there, i thought, over the years is that our missionaries ideally are focused on church planting more than any other goal. More than any other goal. That wherever they are, that should be part of their goal so that those churches become senders too. If everybody's in an independent agency, and and, and we're, we're bringing people to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. We should be doing it. There are people in this room here who are doing this full, full time. But to have other senders out there, the church is called to do this in a unique way that no other institution is. And so we must do it. Jesus said, I will build my church so that if missionaries are not focused on building the church... They may be doing great and amazing work, but they are not focused on the same goal that Christ is, to build his church. And that's what the book of Acts is about. Christ building his church by sending his people on mission, and the mission is to proclaim the word, scatter the word out to build the church. Now, here's what I want to focus you on today. Um, So often in the early uh, chapters of Acts, even though it can be powerful, even though it's magnificent to watch, you have these chapters where hundreds, if not thousands of people are coming to know Christ at one time. And, and you can say, say, some of you say to yourself, well, I've never seen a revival like that. And I've never seen something happen like that. I want to see that. You see. And I I can appreciate that you do. But here we are in the final phase, and it actually kind of looks like what, you can do what you are doing. Because here, here the Spirit selects and sends two people, Barnabas and Paul. And what does the Spirit seem to have in mind? Spirit seems to have in mind to find one guy. There's one guy. Now, all, all of you can have one person in your life that you think, you know, that may, hopefully you do have at least one person in life that you've been praying for to know the Lord. Right? One person in your heart and mind that you've been thinking about. <coughs> and here, for these two, two famous people, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas, it's a guy named Sergius Paulus. He is the proconsul of the island of Cyprus, which means he's probably a governor of the island. It could also mean he's the church officer of the Roman Empire on the island of Cyprus. One of those two things. And we're told that he is intelligent. Now, um, I want to talk about that word intelligent for a moment because we here at Hope Presbyterian Church, we we live in, a, I know, it like a dual reality, right? So we're one of these few evangelically-type churches. Um, and the emphasis in the evangelical church over the last uh, hundred years or so, maybe a little bit less than that, is that American evangelicalism can be kind of anti-intellectual. Anti-intellectual. We've almost strangely had a pride in our anti-intellectualism. It's almost if you're more spiritual if you come to church and you turn your brain off. And uh, uh, one famous uh, preacher put it this way. He said, don't think, just believe. (laughs) But here, here, you know, we we live in Princeton. (laughs) We live in one of the uh, 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 intellectual capitals of the world. And here the goal of the Spirit seems to be to reach a man of some intelligence. And God gave you all intelligence. God gave you a brain. And and notice, intelligence is not a threat to the gospel. Intelligence is not a threat to the gospel. Now look, intelligence can be an idol. And the Bible says, smart and not so smart, All of us have to die to self and to the degree that your intelligence becomes an idol, you become a fool. So that's something we have to watch. That's something we have to watch. I want you to turn with me to, if you're using the Blue Church Bible, turn to page 687. Keep your finger there (coughs) in the book of Acts, Acts 13. Uh, Page 687, we're in the book of Proverbs. This is a book about wisdom. Wisdom, obviously not bad. There's a whole... Uh, There are a number of books in the Bible that are wisdom books, (coughs) so-called. Look at uh, chapter 18, verse 15. This is how the Bible defines intelligence. (coughs) Excuse my allergies. This is how the Bible describes intelligence. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now, That's what Sergius Paulus does right here in Acts 13. He's he's trying to acquire knowledge. He summons Barnabas. He summons Paul, and he wants to know more about God. He wants to hear the word of God. Friends, when so-called smart people do not want to hear the word of the Almighty God, it's not evidence of their smarts. It's evidence of their foolishness in spite of how intelligent they are. So don't fear that. Don't fear that. Remember that when you're sharing the gospel with smart people, by that I'm just, you know, people that have more degrees than you do, people that maybe went to a better school than you did, went to school longer than you did. Do you know, I've heard of those those people that never leave school. you heard, heard some of those too, right? They're really intelligent people. Now, the fool allows their intelligence to get in the way. The fool allows their intelligence to get in the way. But a smart man seeks knowledge. That should be our approach in some ways. I, I know you're very smart. You're here in Princeton. You're here for a reason. And, you know, you, I, I, your ACT score must be through the, the, the top of our roof and above the steeple. And your SAT is just beyond, you know, the reaches of human beings. But But do you want to know more? Because there's some things that the SAT doesn't test you on. Right? Have you these fools at Princeton? Yeah, yeah, right? You know, that when, every time I get an email from a student and it's like it's it's like three thirty in the morning. Princeton, three thirty. <laughs> right? Which of these is not like the other? Um, but any, anyway, but that's, that's how I that's how I measure wisdom. So it's nothing about you, by the way. Uh, uh, but but um, but you see what I mean? Your, your, our intelligence can become an idol can stop us from hearing the word of God. And wisdom, real intelligence, is a humility that says, I know what I don't know. They used to say that the old difference between Bible college and seminary is, when you come out of Bible college, man, you know everything. When you graduate from seminary, you know you know nothing. Because the more you know about God, the more years you start following after God, the more you're like, oh my. Oh my. And that's... That's, that's an intelligent heart that's growing in Christ, you see. And this is something else you've got to remember. Sometimes you are sent, you are sent not only for conversion, but confrontation. Isn't it interesting that Barnabas and Paul are sent basically, you can see the Spirit doing it, to reach one guy, and who's there when they get there? A magician. Elamus. Now, the Holy Spirit knows that the proconsul is there, But he also knows there's a magician right on site. And this magician has one goal. And the goal is, that's my client over there. (laughs) I make money off the proconsul. I tell the proconsul what to think. I tell the proconsul how to read the stars in the sky. I'm a magician. I do amazing things. And I don't want anybody else taking my client away. So he's trying to stop this relationship from happening. And... This is often going to happen to you when you've got somebody that you've been praying for. You find out they have other counselors, other books they're reading, other people that they listen to, and so on and so forth. I know that's frustrating to you, but just like Elamis, the Lord knows they're there. So, a couple of takeaways before we move on to our next point. A couple of takeaways. When someone sends you to share the gospel, when you feel the holy unction, the Spirit working in you to do what the Spirit does do and tells us to do, which is to preach Christ and Him crucified, share the gospel with somebody else. And you go to that person and you're getting opposition, two things. One, deliver the gospel anyway whether they have other people in their ears or other opposition that are coming against you. The Spirit sends you. The Spirit knows the opposition. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is stronger than the opposition because the opposition is not God. So drop the gospel on them anyway. Number two, be ready to defend the gospel. Those who speak another gospel, false teachers, and we're told that Elimus here is a false teacher, um, uh, they want to they always They always do the same thing. They want to add to the gospel. They want to add works. They want to add to Jesus. And uh, But you've been equipped. You need to remember this. You've been equipped. You've been equipped by the catechism. You've been equipped by scripture. You've been equipped by teaching, by, by the sacraments, even by singing. So, so, so what people always do is they want to say either that Jesus is not enough or they want to add something that you have to do to the gospel. That's how it always works. But what do we sing? It seems like every third Sunday around here, when we, especially when things get a little off worship-wise, we sing in Christ alone, <laughs> right? There's one of the hits of the church. I mean, you don't have to m- memorize a lot of scripture. The, the, the evil one's always going to do the same thing. He's going to add to Jesus or take away from Jesus or throw something in front of Jesus. And your answer has to be, no, it's Christ alone. You've got to be ready to defend the gospel, in that sense, see? And, and you've been taught to do it, and you can do it, right? Bar-Jesus takes the straight here. What does he do? Does he come up with a new path? Does he invent a new way? No, he makes crooked what is straight. That's what Satan does. Satan, Satan is not a creator. Satan's a creature. Satan doesn't make anything. Satan only bends and twists. That's what Bar-Jesus is doing. Your job is to make the path straight again. It's about Jesus. It's not about Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus minus that. It's not this instead of Jesus. It's it's just about Jesus. Okay? And finally, finally, the Spirit saving. Now, it's really interesting here that we're told the, 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 the magician is contrasted with Paul. Did you notice that? Right? Uh, Paul is full of the Holy Spirit, and Bar Jesus is full of deceit and villainy. So that's the big collision that's about to happen here. And Paul knows that Bar-Jesus is afraid, as that magician and sorcerer of losing that client, um, uh, Sergius Paulus. <coughs> and, um, and so what Paul does is he causes Elamus to go blind. Now we look at that and we say, well, that's, wow, I can't do that. Um, that's a, um, a, a miraculous sign of sorts. Now, again, remember, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Can you imagine if we all had the power to make somebody who annoyed us go blind? I think, you know, in my family, we would be like halfway to a church and suddenly we drive into a telephone pole, right? Because we're always annoying. You know, parents are always annoying their kids. And so we'd, we'd die on our way to church every day, like a groundhog day, you know, make make mom and dad go blind again. Right? Um, but thank God we don't have that power, okay? But don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. In the same way that Elamus has been filled with de- deceit and villainy and contrasted with Paul, who's filled with the Spirit, Elamus going blind is contrasted with Sergius Paulus seeing and believing Jesus Christ. Isn't it? Isn't it it's, it's just great there at the very end of, of, of verse 12 there. I would think, in the way that people talk about the Holy Spirit working today, That Sergius Paulus would be astonished at the amazing thing that Paul did. He made somebody go blind. But what astonishes Sergius Paulus? What he heard about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was his Lord and Savior. And that he got the message and he believed. That's what was astonishing to him. The good news that his sins are forgiven. That's what the gospel is all about. That is what we are to believe. That's the point. That's the bigger miracle by far. People go blind every day. I regret my my mother is going blind slowly. We lose our sight all the time. We lose our lives. The far greater miracle, the far greater display of God's power is being able to see Jesus, that an enemy of God becomes a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we've been selected to do. That's what we've been sent together as a church to do. That's what we've been called to see the Spirit do as the Spirit saves others. Are you with me on that? Because that's what the Spirit's doing. Let's pray. Lord God, um, this is in a sense our hope. This is why we Send families to robbinsville it's we, we send to save and and, and, and paul the we 're amazed, Lord, Paul, the premier theologian of his day, doesn't stay with the church in, in Antioch, but you send your best away and and lord, we see the gospel in that you you took your best, you sent your own one and only son, and you sent him away, and you sent him away on a mission, and you sent your beloved son to save. So Lord God, so must we make us have hearts like Christ that we would send people away to see others saved so that all may know your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.